Welcome to another episode of How You Can Too with your host, your boy, Alvy, aka Danny, aka Mr. You Can Too, aka the best speedwalker you ever seen. Today we have an amazing show. We got my man, Coach RT3, Richard Thurman III, blessing us with so many amazing perspectives on allyship. His experience as a black coach and a black man in America. Some parallels to the Marvel Universe. Honestly, just a really heartfelt, open, heartfelt, heart open, eye opening conversation. Enjoy the show. And if you love it, please share it with your friends and family and leave a five star rating with an amazing review. As always, you can too. Enjoy the show. Y'all are in for a special, special treat today. I have my coach, or not my coach, but I feel like he's my coach because of how (laughs) much I watch him on Instagram. Coach RT3, a.k.a. Richard Thurman III. How you feeling today, my brother? I'm feeling great, man. Appreciate you for having me. Absolutely. Appreciate you being here. And it's so funny, we're just talking about each other's growth and also what it's like to be a black man in America during these days. And I think it's such a beautiful conversation that we're going to have because not only are we here for movement, health and wellness, however, we're ready to talk about the bigger conversations that get to be had regarding racial injustice, social injustice, and how we collectively as people can really move this movement forward where we really can have a platform to be heard and really reach equality right so i really appreciate having you here and what i would love is for the listeners is can you just give a some background on who you are and how you got to this point in your life right now man it's been a it's been a really long journey and (laughs) i mean it like honestly um like the last I think five years I've I've really kind of found um my voice and space really you know over time um you know being being 43 now it just gives you a whole new perspective on the world you know I never thought I'd be like well I mean it's not that I never thought I'd be in my mid-40s but it (laughs) always it always seemed like it was so far away Mm -hmm. um until I was here (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, that's, it's, it's funny because that's, that's the piece of advice. Like, I know it sounds like so cliche when you say like, wait until you get be my age or like, you know, those sorts of things. Like you start to feel those things about the, <laughs> about the world around you. And it's hard cause you're stuck in between like generations too, because mm. like I have friends who are in their fifties and sixties and are like oh you're still young you know <laughs> like <laughs> what and so um but uh, you know i think like uh, obviously uh, like as a younger coach like i've been i've been involved in fitness health all those sorts of things for about 20 years um and you know i've had some kind of i i, I like to call them sabbaticals cuz you know, at first it was like, I, I called him like, oh, I, I went away from fitness or I left fitness. Um, but now I kind of see them more as sabbaticals because um, in those times, it, it allowed me some form of growth. Um, I traveled overseas, uh, like right in the middle of my, my early fitness career um, and had the opportunity to be a teacher um, for elementary school kids in, in Korea and then um, managed to uh, live in Thailand where I, I taught uh, middle school, middle school slash high school, so eighth and ninth grade um, science. And um, so it gave me an opportunity to be uh, kind of a, a teacher in a different, different way. And, and, you know, I never, I didn't used to see myself, you know, fit as a fitness professional. I didn't see myself as a teacher. I saw myself as a, you know, more like a drill sergeant or like, you know, 
that sort of thing but it's over time as i as i experienced those things you know from a teaching perspective and as i started learning more about what i wanted to be and how i wanted to to engage with clients and i began to see myself more as a teacher than a than a trainer or or you know because the word i know i don't like the word trainer and you know it's like what what are we training people to do Mm. um are they dogs are they Hmm. you know like what like it just has this negative connotation to it so i i just want to change you know i see all these people like personal trainer this trainer this or you know such and such fit and i just don't feel like those words encompass what it is that i do and so coach always kind of started resonating with me and i know people um in the fitness industry have said things like uh you know people who call themselves coach you know they just think they're elite or this and that and i'm like you know what no i think people who call themselves coach see themselves as more than just a trainer and you know what is a coach really you know a coach is there to help a person become a better version of themselves a coach is a coach is there to um listen and and help a person and guide a person and you know if you whether you're a football coach or a business coach or whatever the coach is you're you're like a conduit you're like a a person who brings some insight and and you know it doesn't necessarily you know give the person the the exact way in which to do it but gives them the tools to help them do the best possible job at it um and you know i see the best coaches as being just that being able to get the most out of people and uh help people walk away with with um ways in which they can they can you know best understand and best practice life (laughs) so um you know the last five years have been that kind of finding my voice finding out exactly the type of uh, coach i want to be um what my values were um what how i value myself as Mm -hmm. well um because that that's important because i I undervalued myself for a very long time Mm -hmm. um and uh you know now i I, I, if you don't still think you're undervaluing yourself, then you're undervaluing yourself. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, like, you know, so I, I still feel like I'm growing and my value is changing on a regular basis. Um, and, you know, I just think that, uh, you know, right now is, is just like a really good time to, to be in this field. Um, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I love the distinction that you make between being a trainer and being a coach. And I've never thought about it in the way that you said it, where it's like, you know, what are you training for? Like, what am I training you to do? It's almost like a dog. Am I teaching you how to sit? Am I teaching you how to do this, do that? Right. Whereas coaching is so much more encompassing and it's teaching people the skills in order to become the best version of themselves. Yeah. And and similar to you, bro, I I hated the term personal trainer. <laughs> and 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 I disliked it so much that it really it really had a big factor in how I started to show up both mm. personally and in social media. And we were talking before we started recording on how you were, you know, appreciating my journey and how I shifted from you know, fitness to this overall state of well-being. Yeah. And some, yeah, and something I was very intentional about was that I wanted to really change the definition of health mm. because I used to make up that people equate being healthy to how fast you can run, how far you can run, yeah. how much weight you can move around, um, your aesthetic in terms of do you have a six-pack or not, Right. And and I was so turned off by that because I realized in my life, my mother's life and so many people around me that health is not just this 
physical thing. It's not fitness where it's just what is your ability to do a certain task. Right. It's so much more well-rounded. And there's the physical aspect. There's the emotional aspect, the mental aspect, the spiritual aspect. And just like you, I believe that all of those aspects is what allows us to be the best version of ourselves. Yeah. And I love what you bring up about understanding your own worth and how that's an ever-evolving thing because I resonate with that so much in terms of how I show up, my offerings, my pricing, um, the type of clients I decide to bring on, You know, being able to finally say no yeah. <laughs> to opportunities that aren't right for me. How was it these last, you know, couple of years understanding your value were there any real teaching moments or pivotal points that allowed you to see yourself in a different light so i say i say there's a few moments um and and this is going to tie into uh race as well um with regards to our profession or this profession um so the very first instance at which i was alerted to um, needing to reassess my value uh, was when I, I taught a workshop in Boston and um, the owner of the gym uh, he had a high he had a high-end gym um, and uh, he had me come out to work with his trainers and as I'm staying with him we're kind of in conversation and we're just kind of getting to know each other and you know, he's like, if you don't mind me asking, you know, what, what do you, what do you charge out there? And so I told him my price. Um, and he was like, no way. He was like, that, that, like, he was like, you should be double that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what are you talking about, man? He was like, he's like, man, you, I bring you out here to coach my coaches. And my coaches, I charge people more than than you're charging and he's he was like you know if you were here with me you'd be my top you know price top paid you know coach like by far um because of your expertise because of what you know and because of like the amount of experience um that you have and i said well you know but that's gonna affect you know how many people uh he was like Look, man. If people don't value you for the for the rate that you're worth, then they're not worth. They should not be working with you. Like that's, like they can't afford you. That's what it is, right? Like he's like, you know, when people, he's like, either people can buy a Lamborghini or they can't. You know, like mm, that's so like real. you really, you know, like everybody has a Honda, right? He's like, are you a Honda, like? basically you're not on that level now does that mean does that mean you shouldn't carve out a percentage of your business to be able to help people or does that mean that you don't you know do some work here and there you know for people who need it like no it doesn't right we like we always giving back in some way shape or form you know um you know there's a lot of like things that we do in in on the side you know that you know may not be uh you know something we accept payment for you know but you know when i when i charge you know people who want the premium you know services that i'm providing then you know you're going to pay the premium price um and and that's because i you know when you think about the people that you work with you know they they may be like ceos and and stock you know brokers and vcs and all these sorts of things they spend the vast majority of their time learning how to be the best possible uh you know income earner in their field right and so they hopefully they're doing lots of research they're doing lots of study they're feeling they're figuring out how to be that person well they don't have time to parse through all the stuff with regards to health and wellness and whatnot that is our job that's our job to do that and so if this is my job to collect all of that and to 
package all of that and to be able to help you better understand it basically be your professor um and and give you concepts and help you like fully understand what you're doing with your body which is the most important thing right because without without your body you can't do all that stockbroking and vcing and ceoing <laughs> and sure. whatever it is you're doing so if that's my job is to bring that information and and what's in my head and deliver it to you then it, that has value um and the better i'm able to disseminate that or to transfer that knowledge to you the more i should be <laughs> valued um, absolutely and so uh, that was in my head there were two things going on one was that i i i didn't realize what people were valuing these services at within my area for one two i often felt as though as a black male um i was overlooked i was going to be overlooked or i or somebody was going to say well that's too mm. well that's too much um and and that implicit that inherent bias that 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 bias that people have that you are not the the look of of what i expect you know um and then a couple of colleagues were like you know they literally point out like those white guys over there you see those guys there they're charging two hundred dollars a session and they're getting that and i'm like the like those guys that guy like it you know and it's not it's not to lump them in as a as as one collective racial group but those guys in particular that happened to be white were charging those you know what i mean those particular guys you know who just so happened to be white but were not as qualified or as 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 uh how was the word i'm looking for the the stuff that they were doing was is not the value is not that but they right. are being valued as such right and it's the same thing that kind of happens within society as a whole right that's why there's a a, a wage gap between men and women there's a wage gap between black uh black men and white men there's a wage gap you know there's all these wage gaps because of the perceived value that Mm. that you know people are willing to pay based on a bias within their head right that's rooted in structural systemic racism Mm. Mm. and it's it's powerful too because not only based off of this systemic racism are people willing to pay more maybe for for a white person has the same job but in your instance and this has happened to me in my life as well i even undervalued my own work right so it's a double hit right it happens on both sides yeah. and then it's like you know the system just plays out like it normally does somebody somebody once told me and i don't remember where this came from um but it was somebody in business once told me that um, white males are more w- more uh, likely to apply for a role and job that they are not qualified for than any other group of person. And so with that wow. being said, that means that the opportunity for them to get that job is there, right? Like, so they say like women for a lot of times will not apply for a job that they feel that they look at the they look at the bullet points and whatever they fe- they might feel like they're not qualified for it, so they don't apply mm. and the same thing happens with black people as well we we look at something and we're like well you know i don't have that thing there and i don't have that thing there so you know i, I just won't apply mm. whereas like they are more willing to just take the shot right right shoot that shot right like we that's something that we have to start doing as well and i think it ties into what you were saying is about how we it's not only that we are undervalued by the person seeking but we also then undervalue ourselves, which then puts us 
at an even larger marginal gap. Mm. That's so real. And it it's tough because I make up that a lot of times, you know, as a black man, we're not taught to look at all the things that we do have and that we are bringing to the table. It's more so pointed out what we don't have and what we're lacking and how we're insufficient. Right. And I think flipping that narrative is so important. I mean, when I was earlier this year before COVID hit, I was volunteering at a middle school mm-hmm. and there's a lot of young black and brown kids there. And my sole purpose for being there, number one, is keeping it real with them. Yeah. And within that is letting these kids know, like, look, you're capable of so much if you believe that you can actually do it. Because once you believe that you can do it, you can actually put in the work to give yourself the opportunity to be there. And also telling them too, like there's so much possibility out there that you might not be able to see. And I was a living example of that. It's, you know, a random Wednesday afternoon. And, you know, these kids think I should be at work somewhere. And I tell them like, look, I make enough money in my day-to-day work that I can come here and I can volunteer for three hours and be here with you all right. because it is possible to, you know, charge a certain price, make a certain amount of money, be in a position where you can literally create the schedule and the life you want. And what I found out is that if you don't see it, it's hard to believe it. Yeah, definitely. And it's, and it's powerful. And Staying on the topic of, you know, race relations and, you know, the racial injustice that's going on right now. I mean, I think it's so interesting because we're in when we talk about like our industry, you know, I'll lump it all together into, you know, health, wellness and personal development. It's very dominated by by white people. Yes. And I know that I've been to dozens of conferences and seminars and many a times I'm part of like maybe 5% of black people especially black men or less or less right in that place sometimes I'm the only one yeah and I'm sure you've had similar experiences and it's so tough and something that I battle with is this idea of like how do I make this space more inclusive yeah Right? Has that something that you've thought even see about? It. Or? They don't even see it. Oh, not at all. Like, and so if if you don't like notice it, then you you make no efforts to to change it. Like, if you you, how does one not see that as problematic? I don't understand that um, because then you have no inputs from a diverse pool, and so right. once again you're. Once again, as as leadership and as leaders, you're disseminating information based on a perspective and a lens that you have decided as the default. And so when I think, um, you know, we always see like a commercial that, that gets flagged and then, you know, people are like, oh, that was crazy. How did they even get that past, you know? how they even get that past the, 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 you know, whoever was supposed to be <laughs> deciding whether this commercial would even air. And it's like, well, because you didn't have any people in the space to like alert you that this was not cool. Right. Um, and, and, and that doesn't mean just having one, right? Because one person doesn't, doesn't reflect the diversity of our of even our community right Right. like you could have you could have um uh uh like you know some ben carson type cat in there you know like you you could have you know um just because you have one lens you know we got that one black person in there and he said it was cool like (laughs) (laughs) like that (laughs) that doesn't that doesn't um that doesn't reflect the 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 wealth of opinions and wealth of understandings of our of of our community um and so that same thing kind of gets represented in our 
in our in the fitness industry and i think that as we are addressing wellness and and overall health of human beings um i think that you know it's one of those things that i i often say and i don't think people really truly get it is that we understand you better than you understand us mm. and that is because we've had to live within the default structure that is created by by you. So like it's the it's the um, somebody put it out, they call it the default experience. Like the default experience in everything is white. Um, because like if you like how are all the the sitcoms and television shows structured like it's it's structured on the the image of like you know that's come through the years of like the white picket fence and the house and the this and that like and even when you have representation of uh, a black family i think outside of outside of say like good times sanford and son and and the jeffersons Right, the default kind of uh, way in which um, we, um, the default kind of way in which we look at the overall um, world is through a lens of how things should be. Such a good point. It's such a good point. What that immediately has me think about is how really misguided many of us are and especially you know non-black people who don't know about the black experience because they're solely seeing it through the eyes of you know media representation or through pop culture right right and it's like also who writes those narratives right very few times is it from you know a black producer or a black storyteller right and that's not something that we see often and something that you brought up just a little bit earlier that it reminds me of as well is how even myself, like as a black man, and I have many non-black friends, I, I continually remind them that I do not speak for all black people. Yeah. And and to think that my opinion is going to be the popular opinion of every other black person is it's crazy to think. Right. Because it is so much more diverse and so much bigger than me and what i always recommend to do is like hey go out and listen to more voices like start to see who are some of these other thought leaders out there who are talking about all these different subjects and from there and also you know books and different publications it's that's a way to really get a well-formed opinion on what's going on with black people and I understand, and this is where it, I get annoyed, is that you know many people I make up aren't willing to do the work. Yeah, they're not willing to take the time, or they, if they're expecting their you know one or two black friends to give them the spark notes version of yeah. every other person out there, well then hey, that's that's you using your privilege again. But it all it all goes it all ties back to the way in which we're educated, like from from childhood all the way through, right? Um, there's this large omission of our contributions. There's a large omission of our literature. There's a large omission of these these things that we should be having conversations about in in and throughout school. You know, like. It, we're now expecting adults to take time out of their day to do work that should have been a part of the the basic structure of education um, within this country. And if we continue to educate people in the way that that we educate them, we're going to continue to get an output of the same type of people that are like, I don't see color, and I don't, I you know, I don't understand. And it's like, well, you know. You you should Baldwin should have been a part of your basic high school literature, you know like like these you should be listening, like if you make it through high school, 
and you haven't read Frederick Douglass, like that's problematic. Like it's, it's just problematic. You know, it's like we have to read all these other authors, but you just omit, you know, authors like Frederick Douglass, like Baldwin, like Zora Neale Hurston. Like mm. there's so much out there that is a part of uh, American lore. You know, people are like, I'm like, have you read Invisible Man? They're like, oh, you mean about the Invisible Guy? I'm like, no, by Ralph Ellison. <laughs> Ralph Ellison. Like, you, like you, what? <laughs> like, it's 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 amazing and astonishing. I, you know, I'm so glad that I didn't have to read Shakespeare in co- in high school. When <laughs> when people were like, oh, you're gonna have to read Shakespeare in high school, and it's like. It, it just seemed like it's this daunting thing to me because I didn't want to have to read Shakespeare. And, you know, in the end, I didn't end up having to read Shakespeare, and I'm so glad for it. And people can argue one way or the other about that. But I'm going to tell you this. Shakespeare, you know, sure, the vast, the vast majority of, uh, of, like, films and movies and and whatever is out there has taken some elements of shakespearean you know literature and and in order to create once again another default way in which we see the world right the way we see love stories the way we see Mm -hmm. these things right it's once again it's just rooted in this sort of characterization but shakespeare is not the only person who could write about a love experience right like the the black love experience the latino love experience the these experiences are different and you know it's important that we understand that and you know i think that at this point in time like unless um at this point in time we need to integrate more of the uh, of, of the diverse narratives um into uh, our education system so that we can fully uh, understand more about um, our society and, and the, the diverse perspectives on the people that are around us. That's such a powerful point. And I, I never even thought about it from that Shakespearean point of view of how many of the love stories and how we view all different types of human interactions are really based off of the way that it was told or interpreted or experienced uh, by white people man princesses and 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 the storybook marriage and the horse and carriage shit that's all like rooted <laughs> what is that <laughs> what is that rooted in it's rooted in eurocentricity it's not right rooted, it's not rooted in african storytelling it's not rooted in in other you know forms of storytelling that's it's not Mm. you know but it has become this overwhelming and you know and and disney like just takes it and just like globalize it right of course so now it's become the story right so the Mm. a wedding in a wedding in uh malaysia is gonna look almost like a wedding here you know like you got movies like crazy rich asians which depict basically rich asian people acting like the default culture mm. to some degree you know this is one of the reasons my wife was not really interested in seeing it because she is singaporean and but mm. she is she is a brown singaporean she's malay and indian mm. and that culture um at least from the malay and indian people that i know from that area because i spent a lot of time over in that area a lot of them felt some kind of way about that movie about their lack of representation so you see whereas whereas you know Americans were like yay look at that we've we've made this whole asian cast and this movie's so great look it's like hmm. it, it you you still have a group of people who are like well hey wait a minute you've only represented your you know a rich element of our community which is a minority mm. Yeah. And then it and then it even creates this message that that's what the norm looks like. Right. And it's and, not and the it's norm. so problematic. No, not at all. So, um, you know, it as we as we start to deconstruct 
these things, these ideas, they, it just needs to be talked about. It needs to be brought forth. And, and we have to understand like how all these things play a role within how we, not only how we see the world, but how we start to apply the things that we do to the world or to the people that, that we work with even. Mm, that's so true. And this, the topic of representation is so important and shifting gears just slightly but staying on the same subject you know it's a a lot of what has bothered me with you know what the movement has been looking like from say a lot of different businesses and companies and large entities this idea of like okay we're going to put out a statement and with that statement that's going to show our solidarity or we might even you know throw money at it and we might donate to certain causes. However, to me, it's like, how about representation? Like, what does your board look like? Yes. Like, what what do your your C level executives look like? And what what is that conversation going on? Because that's what I think is most important. If companies really want to show that they are about inclusion and diversity, and ultimately switching up what's been the status quo for decades if not centuries in some of these institutions yeah i mean i i'm mixed on on all of that i mean i there are some companies that made some great statements and they took a moment and they outlined and laid out a a process you know like we're going to make donations here and, and allocate money to this we're going to uh look at how we can do better within our our you know organization our hire process and all these different things um you know we're going to create um you know diversity training we're going to create you know we're going to bring in all this stuff to make this a better uh overall organization i think i appreciated the companies who did that um the ones who just kind of were like we stand with you guys yay i'm like no that (laughs) that's not that's not where it should stop that's not where um and then you know i also feel um as i've explained in a lot of uh the talks that i've had with people over the last few weeks um you know everybody says this thing of like we need a seat at the table and but they're like the table is not the 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 table is like a fixed thing right Mm. and you say we need to seat at the table you're like well um we're not why are we not making a bigger table right you know or why are we not like if there's a table in a room like maybe we need a bigger room with more tables like we this i feel is an opportunity to actually create a new table with new chairs and Hmm. and you know we don't have to be at that same old table you know that's the great thing about um that's the one great thing about i think you know being in like the tech capital of the the world i mean of course we have a lot of douchebags in the tech world but (laughs) But um, as you can see, like the last two, there's the two incidents recently um, here in the Bay Area that, um, you know, they call it Park Ranger Karen, who told some Asian people to go back to their country. And then there's like, uh, there's another guy um, who uh, made some statements about, he's a tech, he's a CEO of a tech company as well. And he, he was on film telling some, Asian woman, she needs to go back to where she's come from. Ironically, he's from the UK, so um, how about that? He just, I mean, once again, default, right? He's like, I, I see myself as universally a part of a thing, which is white supremacy. Um, so, you know, I think tech has shown us like how you can disrupt things and and build things differently than before um and you can say you know out with those old ways like we don't we're not going to create it the same way like 
for a long time, I think in America, it was like, you have to start, you have to get the business plan, you have to start it this way, you have to do this, and you have to have this sort of structure, and this is how it kind of comes along. And then, like, tech companies have just been like, you know what, let's just create some stuff, and, you know, that's that's a better solution for this, or, like, get in between this and that to create, to make a better way. And I think right now, like we should all be taking a page out of that book and be like, mm. let's create better. Let's like changing an old thing is harder than just creating a whole new thing. Right. So, you know, it, it's, it's, it's just like the body, right? <laughs> you get a brand new, you get a brand new body. You could design it however you like, you know, that's what babies are. Babies are a brand new body you know blank slate they just learn everything that whatever you input into it it, it it's just gonna learn and and grow from that yep. and you got an old body the old body you gotta break down some old pathways build some new pathways break down some old you know old habits and tissues and whatever whether it's mobility or whether it's you know even a learned process whatever you've got to break down some old and and build some new and that's hard work that's hard work and people don't want to do that hard work they're just looking for a quick fix and a quick pill and so that kind of ties into how i see what people are doing when they're saying like we need more seats at the table when you're saying you need more seats at the table you're like just literally trying to make a quick patch over of something as opposed to like deconstructing the whole thing and, and reconstructing it in a way that does not reflect those old things because if you don't get rid of those old you you can't tell what's been structurally created you know uh if it as a part of the as a part of the systemic issues or what's been created um you know without that influence you know so and even now now i think about it as you start thinking about creating a new structure it's like you have to really be cognizant of how you create that new structure to make sure that you don't utilize what's been taught to you to do that right Mm, right. you know it's like killmonger you know so (laughs) i i I, not to get off too far on tangent but like (laughs) but i think you know it's one of those things where like you you if you really look at that film and you really try to understand like what's going on there, it's like this man was literally like you, you, you created me like you created me to do this. And now that I'm doing this, you don't like this. Mm. And, and he's basically saying, I only know one way to interact with their world. Right. And it's the way they taught me to interact with their world. Meanwhile, meanwhile t'challa has no real idea of how that world works and operates and is like let's let's give them some of our stuff let's and killmonger's like no let's not give them some of our stuff right (laughs) you know because i've seen what they do with our stuff and so like this is what makes comics and all those sorts of things not so cut and dry Mm. right who's the bad guy who's the good guy like it depends on the lens you're looking through for sure but a lot of us identify killmonger as a bad guy because we've grown up within within that mind state or within that 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 construct that tells us hey yeah killmonger's ideas are bad right simply because it's going against the status quo right and, and and how we've been viewed to see it right he, he's like my people are dying my people are being murdered like i grew up in oakland like this is this is like what are you doing what are you doing to for for our people that's basically mm-hmm. what he's saying and and like i said i'm not saying he's right or wrong i'm just saying that hey he has some valid points <laughs> for sure for sure and i think it takes an open mind to be able to see it that way where it's not so cut and dry as hey this is the good guy this is the bad guy like at the end of the day i make up that 
we dictate what's good or bad based off of our own experiences, right? And the experiences of those closest to us. Right. And what's going to dictate that is how we experience life. Yeah. And I think right now we're going through such a such an amazing process. And when I say amazing, it's just it's so big and so nuanced right. where the conversations are tough. Yeah. There, there are a lot of dark things that get to be looked at and it's really like we've really like peeled back all these layers and we're seeing the country for not only what it is but what it seems like it's always been right, right? Yeah. since our since the forefathers founded it and in order to make a real change I, I think it's important that white people especially don't take things so personally yeah right it's like no like i i don't believe that you know i'm pointing a finger at a white person saying like hey this is your fault right that we got to this point however i am saying that it is your responsibility to help change it right and you, you were bringing up a great point on allyship before we started recording and i would i would love to hear more about how you believe that this movement for equality, justice, a new, a, a completely new table and, and more chairs to be filled with, what it's going to take moving forward for that to be created and sustained? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because with, with regards to allyship, um, I think I, I saw something yesterday which kind of sparked a thought in my head um, that I wanted to articulate and I articulated with my dad and it was um, they were talking about the kneeling uh, uh, in in the NFL right now in my opinion that's come and gone like the, that's that the time for that has come and gone but now they're talking about like will they kneel this year or will they and it's just like well you had your chance to, to like be a part of that years mm-hmm. ago or not right. right and and people either chose not to and you know so the debate is on you know you know shannon and skip you know he's like skip skip you know come on skip uh <laughs> he's he's saying like you know they're both in agreement that like what does it mean when half the team kneels and the other half doesn't or what does it mean when like a couple of the white players don't do it like does it mean that you're a racist does it mean and and i'm like mm. I, like what does it mean it means that you it means that you've chosen to be ambiguous <laughs> sure. like now does does kneeling mean that you are not that that doesn't because you could easily mm. just be like i'm just going to kneel because i i just don't want any flack right you know? look good um and so there's all these elements and that's why i say like that that the time for that is over it's gone it's past um there was another thing about like um a a female soccer team you know some of the players knelt and then you know uh, one of the the white female players put her hand on the shoulder of a of a black player and um you know it's like but she didn't kneel and people gave her stuff over that and and i was like yeah but I and personally, I think they gave her stuff over the wrong reasons. Personally, what it di- indicates to me was that she still wants to to protest in a way she feels she mm. should protest, right? And that's the problem I see with it all is like we're we're we've been asking for certain things. Now we're demanding certain things, and you don't get to choose like your your question to me is how can i help and i tell you this is how you can do it and then you decide oh yeah that's cool but nah i'm gonna just do it my way Hmm. that that goes back to your 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 feelings of entitlement you know i'm telling you this is how we need help and you tell me no i think this is how to best do it like either get on the train or not like right you know you don't get to be like i'm gonna just do it this way um because that's what i feel 
like and i get that everybody has their own part to play right like do your do your individual part but if we have a collective message that we're putting across as a group you know like if we're going on a if we're going out to protest to march in the streets we asked you to march in the streets we didn't ask you to tear shit up exactly (laughs) we didn't ask for things to be torn down like it's nice that that these monuments and things are being torn down that's nice i i appreciate that we're not the ones tearing it down right these are white folks tearing them down and and i'm grateful for that but we're not we're not that's not what we're asking for (laughs) we're asking for people to stop killing us in the streets we're asking for we're asking for equal justice we're asking to not be uh met with excessive force just because of the color of our skin we're asking for equality you know in in representation in jobs in um all these different aspects of our society which we have not yet achieved the level of equality and equity that we uh, deserve we're asking for stuff for our community you know um and i personally feel like the time for asking has gone come and gone and this is the time like we've gone from ask to demand right and so there's only one more step after demand um and so like these changes have to come they have to absolutely absolutely and oh, before i before we jump off i went to say because we were talking about marvel and the marvel universe i think it was like you know black panther and 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 killmonger but um i think another example of that another critical example of that in the marvel universe is captain america civil war mm. so you like if anybody picked a side if anybody picked a clear-cut side on that then you have to actually sit and reflect with yourself and be like why did i pick that side Mm. because that it was not clear-cut on whose side to be on (laughs) in that in that in that whole thing each of them had valid points that they were trying to get across um and and i think that it was not easy to determine like who's right and who's wrong in that Mm. that's powerful because it it really shows me how important it is to look at everything i do and really reflect on why is it that i choose to take the action or inaction that i take in life and i think that's something that the listeners can walk away with as well yeah for sure it's so important and something that you reminded me of is this idea too of of white saviorism where instead of listening to a black person or going into a community and asking that community hey what do you need and and how can i be of service it's the idea that oh well, I'm gonna just go in and like I know what they need right. or like no 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 I know I know how to help like I know I know what will make it better and it's like nah like no one's asking you that you know what I'm saying it's like yo just be like be side by side you don't you don't have to come in and lead right right so I think understanding how to be one how to reflect and then two also how to work side by side with the movement that's going on right now. And also understanding, like you said earlier, this ambiguity is is not gonna be what moves the needle. Like there I think something people are starting to realize is that being silent and on the sidelines is not gonna move the needle. If anything, it's just gonna create more of the status quo and what's happened in the past. So I really appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah, if you ain't on the field doing something, then you aren't a part of play. So, exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. you, you can't score no touchdowns from the stands. You, you know, you can't make no shots uh, from the stands, <laughs> from the press box, or from the sky box, or whatever. Um, you, you know, as long as you're, you're sitting on the bench or on the sidelines, you are not affecting anything in the game. Nothing. Exactly. Exactly. And something I would say that goes with that is don't be afraid to play the game. Right. You know what I'm saying? And, and when you do go into the game, go in with the intention 
to play to win yes as opposed to going in and thinking that you're playing not to lose right i mean some because, people some people need to yeah. be role players you know you be, be your role player you know For what sure. i mean like everybody has a part to play you don't have to be you know but we're all here to win right like michael jordan was michael jordan but scotty pippen was there steve kerr was there you know what i mean right. <laughs> the whole squad you know the whole squad was there uh you know the there were there were people on those on those teams who you don't even remember their names but they contributed for real, for real. You it's know. so real I was trying to think of a name that no one would remember but then shit I couldn't even was remember was it Bill Winnington so was, was it Winnington yeah, the, the set something like that the center yeah wasn't it yeah was, I forget his name Luke Longley the other one <laughs> shit no, no one brings them I haven't had the chance to see the documentary about I haven't Luke either. Longley Luke Longley wasn't in any commercials I know that much <laughs> Oh man! I was but like, he's still a champion, right? Still got rings. That's it. You know, that's it. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh man, you know, it's important. It's important, man. Rich, I appreciate your time and your perspective. And but before you can let everyone know where they can find you, I, I want you to leave the the community with one parting word, something that you feel like during this time would really allow them to be of service, show up powerfully, and continue to move the movement? Um, well, I mean, I think the thing is, is this, this is a, this is not something that we're, we're ever going to finish. I think that's the, the, the main thing. I think we have to understand <coughs> that we have to understand that this is bigger than us and the little part that we play in this ripple in time might have some of the most significant outcomes because a thing you say today or a thing that you do today might inspire or change the, the next person that ends up being in some position to make some major changes in the next generation. Right. And I think that's that's the thing we lose sight of because I think we've once again this this whole system has taught us to be only concerned with self mm. and only concerned with with the outcome for ourself. How much can we how much can you get? How much can I get out of this? Mm. Um and what am I gonna get if I, you know, use an electric vehicle instead of <laughs> you know a gas vehicle what am i gonna get you know this this climate change or this systemic racism thing is so big it's not gonna change but it's like you got kids like 40 you know i'm 43 43 years from now what is my kid's world gonna look like and you know because my world looks different than my dad's world did 43 years ago um, he could have never imagined, but at the same time, you know, as, as people say to people like myself, like, oh, well, you have it much better than, than whatever. My dad is still here and he's still like, yo, yeah, things are, are better, but I still see the same pro Like I still see problems. I still see a lot of problems. Like, so if you've got, you know, a 70 year old man, um, you know, feeling that way about this country still, then why aren't you listening to that? Mm. You know, a 70 year old black man, you know? Um, and we, and we also have to just understand that, you know, 70 years ago, um, a black man couldn't drink out of the same water fountain as a white man. So, you know, 60 years ago, I should say, because my dad was was already around um, <laughs> in those times. Um, so, the, you know, what I, what I mean by that is that we, we just have to understand that a lot of those people are still alive. Yes. And we just got finished talking about you're either actively racist, passively racist, or anti-racist. So, if those people are still alive, 
you have to ask the question. You have to ask the question, what were they doing 60 years ago, 70 years ago? What were their role? What were they, what were they, or were they upholding this? Or were they actively racist? Were they passively racist? Or were they anti-racist? Mm-hmm. And those people are still around. And, but we have an opportunity to create a new generation of anti-racists. Yes. Right? Like every child, every person that we come into contact with has the, the opportunity to be molded. And like I said, new body, old body. Mm. If the old bodies, it's, it takes a lot of work. People who are my age now and, and still holding on those things, it's, it's going to take a lot of work for those people. But you know who it's not going to take a lot of work for? The kids. Exactly. The kids. Mm. So we have an opportunity to shape the world um, of the future, and we may not be here to see it, and that's okay. But we have to, we have to sacrifice for, for them for, so they have a better place and so they can progress and they can continue to move in a direction that takes them off this planet and into the into the universe to see what's out there because we ain't gonna see it but <laughs> man their kids kids might see it and right. that might be amazing and yes so um man good for them <laughs> right right we have man there's so much gold in what you just said there and one of the things that just came up for me is that it doesn't matter or i mean it's great that we've come so far and we still have so much further to go yeah right and if if we can look at it through that lens that's gonna allow us to keep putting in the work especially when we understand that it's so much bigger than us in this moment right now yeah and understanding that this is gonna have a trickle-down effect for our kids and our kids kids and hopefully by the time our kids kids are alive you know it's a completely different world and system and and that's what the consistent conscious work of today can provide and it starts with us absolutely man rich i appreciate all of your time i appreciate your perspectives the work that you do in the world uh, we're laughing about this earlier. I can't believe this is the first time that we actually got to have a conversation together. Yeah. And, we're, and it, it's going to be my mission to make sure that we have more of them. For sure. Because there, there's so much that I can learn from you and from your journey that I get to apply to mine. So I appreciate you for that, brother. Yeah, I appreciate you for having me on, man. My pleasure. And where can everyone listening to you find you? Uh, you can find me at on Instagram at coach underscore RT3. Um, and then uh, our, I have a project that I've been working on for a long time, mobility work to start out with, but we're going to start integrating some more stuff in there as we go um, at the Upgrade Guys. And um, just so you know, like it's, it's, it's uncut, unfiltered. We are 100% us um, <laughs> with, with that project. And I think the important aspect of that is that we – you know the the poem by Maya Angelou um, that I shared um, talks about masks, um, and it's it's literally we're we're taking that smiling mask off, mm-hmm. and um, the mask that laughs and giggles at our oppressor, and we just decided, you know, like we are giving the world mobility training how we see it. We're giving the world training how we see it and through the lens that we see it in, however we would just talk to each other. And so we don't try to be something we're not. We, we've shed that burden. Um, so um, I, I, that's just a whole other conversation, a whole bag, <laughs> a whole, you know, it's like we're just, we're just trying to not carry that burden of trying to fit into the structure that we've been told we have to be so that's the upgrade guys um and we help you upgrade your shit um uh, through mobility training to start and you know that thought process is kind of you know shared there man i love that and it's rooted in authenticity yeah i mean that that's what i hear from it's it's you two being your authentic selves and 
And I would imagine that that makes the work that much more fun and gratifying and engaging. Oh, it's so fun. Um, it's so fun. And I think the, the people who the people who who support us and come to our classes our live classes and stuff like that they just like they literally send us messages like you know i I, like the mobility stuff is like a side thing i come here to actually (laughs) come here to actually (laughs) hear you guys talk trash to each other (laughs) so fucking hilarious (laughs) so so um you know it doesn't happen every class but you know sometimes it just it's just one of those classes where you know stuff just (laughs) (laughs) it can't be let go (laughs) so we liken ourselves to obama and uh luther from uh key and peel um oh wow so So, even though i can't tell who's obama and luther anymore like i i've i've gravitated more towards being my authentic luther self Uh (laughs) man that's amazing and that's going to be a conversation that we have on the next podcast for damn sure for sure all right appreciate you brother keep doing the work that you're doing and showing up as the powerful authentic black man that you are thank you man appreciate you appreciate you